0: Hello Alaska, this is Pat Race, and this is Matt Buxton, and this is a podcast about Alaska. In the town of Whittier, Alaska, almost everyone lives in one building. 90% of the town's residents live in one 14-story building. That also houses a post office, shop, police station, health clinic, and a bed and breakfast. (laughs) <laughs> do you know Pat, you, i think it's hogwarts you, 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 you saw this yes going around i yeah. love it it's like i love that, just, that
1: some people didn't it just it was right over their head which is my favorite part of it
0: i just like like it's sort of good and wholesome and darky and it's it's kind of fun to see people like having fun and you know it's it's not like a bunch of people yelling at each other and there's a little bit of confusion but it's pretty easy it's a pretty easy joke to be in on and to play with
1: and I think it's yeah, it's like one of those things where it's like it makes it life fun.
0: Yeah. Can we, so uh, for for folks who aren't on Twitter, this text was posted with a picture of the incorrect building. I think it was uh, the Jedi and- uh,
1: the uh, Jedi uh, for- fortress on. Coruscant, I think. So
0: (laughs) get your Star Wars planets, right? Yeah. And so then a bunch of people took the same text and posted different buildings, everything from the hotel in The Shining uh, to the giant weird Dr. Seuss tower out in Talkeetna. And it's been very fun to see people's different interpretation, gingerbread houses and mushroom houses. And uh, it's just been it's nice. It's a nice little bright spot for me.
1: (laughs) Is Whittier like that's that is uh, that is a thing like Whittier does every most people live in one building there uh, yeah well so and like, it's a thing that
0: just... shows up in the news cycle all the time every every like six months there's like some national news outlet that does the, their big Whittier story and gets a bunch of clicks because it's it's weird so that that was originally posted by at uh, loopfine underscore uh, which is uh, Anchorage Twitter user who describes themselves as a foraging bench and uh, it was just a nice bright spot in my uh, in my week.
1: Yeah, it's like one of those lines that I think that, you know, people national outlets just fall in love with, right, when they when parachuting into Alaska, which, you know, there's been a lot of parachuting into Alaska because surprise we've had a very uh interesting uh election with a surprise, I think for to, for for most who have been looking at this race. So, uh, we finally got the results this week in the US or special race for the U.S. House, where uh, it was going to come down to uh, Democrat Mary Peltola or former Republican Governor Sarah Palin. And, and you know, this is we, our rank We choice.
0: both probably thought it was going to be Sarah Palin, right?
1: You know, I, I did, certainly. I didn't write I it mean, down I, a whole bunch. But I really did think that Peltola had a pretty good shot here. and But I didn't think that it was going to be quite so stark right we so we'd looked at the numbers right so this is alaska's first ranked choice election the real dynamics of the race was basically going to come down to how third place finish, or voters for third place finisher um nick baggage the third as well as the write-ins sort of treated the rest of their ballot you know are they going to all neatly align behind palin or were they going to do something else and it turns out they're going to do something else, right? So kind yeah. of the really interesting takeaway to me is that uh, about 50% of Nick Begich's voters looked at Sarah Palin and ha- half of them didn't vote for her. You know, either, so about 30% of his voters voted for Peltola, 20% didn't vote, and then about 50% voted for Palin and and it gave Peltola about a 4 point uh, margin of victory, the final count. Yeah, so, I, I did a little informal
0: um, polling on Twitter right before the election about like how many people, how many baggage voters people thought were going to bullet vote. Bullet vote is the um, term for it's sort of a, tr- came from one shot voting. It's people who just mark one who just mark one candidate on their ballot and then don't mark another, a second candidate. So bullet voters are uh, exhausted. Their votes aren't counted in the next round. And then I also asked how many people thought baggage voters would vote for Peltola number two. And got 112 people who contributed to this and almost 50% thought it would be fewer than 10% of baggage voters who would vote for Peltola second. And she ended up with 29%, which is pretty phenomenal. And I think that this like baggage to Peltola pipeline uh, tells me that we really opened an important door here in terms of allowing people to express their preference because, you know, that's that's a clear that's something you wouldn't see in a in a in a race where you're just marking one candidate. You don't really understand the sort of depth of preference that like yes, I want Nick baggage to be my first vote, but second is not Sarah Palin, it's it's Peltola, and that's a um you know that that's kind of the magic here of the ranked choice is that you you are allowed to express a more nuanced preference
1: i think it, it the the this race especially is a really good encapsulation of like where alaska's politics is right now which is to say like you know i think there's consternation from republicans that hey look we had 60 percent of the vote on the first vote why didn't we win you know of course we should have won right and mm-hmm. the answer is that you know, like, you know, there's, the Alaska Republican Party has been really fractured for a while, right? Sort of the MAGA wing, MAGA wing over on the far right, this very Trump aligned sort of whatever wing, right? And then you have kind of the smaller group of quote unquote moderate sort of business folks. Really, I think they're not necessarily moderate in this se- but they're moderate in the sense that they're not super trumpy really right these are you know this is like a john Coghill, kathy giesel these are people who are not liberals or even moderates but they just sort of want the system to not be burnt down i think yeah. um and i think that's kind of even though and again it's it's a sort of weird thing because i think it it kind of talks a lot about perceptions here too but Nick Begich isn't, like, this moderate guy. He's not necessarily, like, a centrist at all. He's very, you know, very conservative, very right-winger. But I think that kind of went after Don Young died, I think that there was a bit of a reset in the race, and I think he got labeled as sort of the moderate in this race, right? So I think what it kind of happened is that, you know, exactly what we've sort of seen happening is that if it had been a primary, Sarah Palin would have beat him out, and then... You know, would have gone on, but now we have you know this sort of group that gets to be represented by Baggage, who isn't you know uniform, right? And I guess, and also the other thing we have to keep in mind is that these aren't all Republican voters that were voting for Begich, these are independents, there might have been some Democrats in there, right? Yeah, and- I, I mean, I, that, I think that's actually something something that's being left out of the, the bigger
0: discussion is that, like, you know, when people parachute into Alaska, they're not often looking at that a majority of our voters, more than 50% of our voters are un, undeclared or nonpartisan voters, and those are complicated voters they're not party aligned uh and definitely don't have a strong allegiance or or follow or do what the parties tell them to do right there's a pretty heavy independent streak
1: right and i think too it's i mean and, and the republican infighting has been really tough you know i think that that's the other thing so coming into this race we talked i got to talk to um to some fair votes experts about it, and, and they were basically saying that, like, look, you know, a comeback victory that that looked like Palin could pull off is rare in 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 ranked choice voting. I think it's like something like four or five percent of the five hundred races have had somebody uh, win who wasn't the first place finisher. And he said that really the the main part to keep in mind is that for a comeback victory to happen, it really requires the candidates to take advantage of the system. It requires them to invite other people to rank them second and it requires them to be talking about who to rank second and and Palin and Begich never did that right and they were kind of at each other's throats the whole time. Well, they did the opposite yeah and and it really allowed um, Mary Peltola to kind of come in as a more moderate sort of person who was also you know by all reporting on the trail she's incredibly disarmingly friendly person who has been you know more than happy to approach people and say well i understand you're going to vote for palin or baggage first but i would hope you consider me second and and i think you know it, and she's very moderate you know i think and i think it'll in that moderation allows a lot of people to kind of see what they want in her which is you know it's it's good politics right and i think so uh i think that the idea that 13 percent of the overall participation in this turnout were those baggage voters who ended up going to peltola and that makes it's about right it makes sense to me that that's kind of Mm -hmm. about where you would think that kind of chunk would land right and that there's about 10 percent of voters in alaska who you know wouldn't mind voting for what they view as a moderate republican but given the choice then between if they can't get the moderate republican and the choice comes down to extreme sarah palin or a very moderate democrat like i think that kind of Sort of makes sense in the rear view. I think it it's very important not to take this race for granted and to assume everything else is going to play out the same way. This is an extraordinarily unusual race that we've gone through here, uh, and we, now we have a you know race to the general election where we have a bunch of other races and and kind of lessons learned, right? Because I think that's that's sort of the what I wrote this week was that you know Republicans who are really mad at the system need to look in the mirror and kind of understand why you know, why voters would look at that choice and and pick a Democrat over a Republican. But so far, we haven't seen any of that to any degree. I think they've kind of continued to infight. And it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays forward.
0: Yeah, you, you talk about that infighting and, and what you described as the fracturing of the Republican Party. And it's really fascinating. That fault line that little crack in the ground just comes right back to Sarah Palin, right. In in the right in when she first ran, she ran against an incumbent governor as a, um, as an anti-corruption candidate and upset the political norms in Alaska and uh, kind of came out against party leaders. And there was a lot of that, that fracture in the Republican party. Uh, and it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just Palin, but she was a big part of like putting that wedge in the ground and that crack grew and encompassed the whole nation, and it's pretty wild to see it kind of come back home again in this in this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you remember? Do you remember that time? Do you, were you reporting then?
1: Yeah, so I mean, I, I showed up in 2011, so I I was on the hot on the heels of the Joe Miller upset in the primary. Um, I know, and I got to see how it played out, sort of after that too. So you know, I remember. It was, I think, in 2012 or so that kind of the Joe Miller wing of the party of the last Republican Party won the chairmanship there. This is kind of in the height of some of the Tea Party stuff. yeah they took over the party but what the party did was they transferred all the money out of it to the juno republicans like the day before he became in power and so he didn't have any money
0: they also took the fundraisers list like the list of like people you call for money and so these guys showed up and they just had like no way to raise money yeah they no way to raise
1: money um they denied them quorum at several meetings i remember there was one hearing where randy Riedrich, the former um you know Uh, Chairman of the Republican Party told a bunch of Anchorage Republicans to go fishing on the day that the convention was coming up. I mean, it's just like, I mean, I think a lot of that just to me speaks to where we are right now. And I think there's like layered elements of the infighting, but also I think this sense of like entitlement to votes that I think to me is like the kind of the more sort of offensive response to this whole turnout, which is that like, you know, there's I think this assumption that because 60% 60% of, Repu- of voters voted for Republicans that therefore they were, you know, they're owed that seat. Right. And I think that like this election has taught us that that voters are a little more complex than just party designation. And I think a lot of the elements of this system, you know, I think we've talked a lot about how ranked choice voting works and how that kind of has an impact on how you campaign and how you win races But really, I think, like, to me, some of the lessons from here is that, you know, the open primary, it makes a big difference having sort of multiple different candidates who you can put forward kind of a slate that is more of a spectrum rather than an analog choice. And I think that it's more reflective of where the politics are and where voters are. And I think that, to me, is is really interesting. I think that's like, the way you measure success here is that, I would get. I would hazard a guess that if you were to poll people about how they felt about how this election turned out, I think it's a pretty high number of people that are not upset with it because that's how the yeah. vote went, right? I mean, the majority of people ultimately wanted this outcome over. Palin, and and right
0: you're getting more you're you know if if you have a voting system that allows people to express more preference then the likelihood that they're getting what they want is higher so the likelihood that they're pissed off about the results is lower and certainly there are people who are unhappy but there are people who are very happy and it is it has been like it has filled my heart with so much joy to see all these articles about people around the state who are identifying with mary peltola in, in in kind of a deep deep way you know like i never people who'd never thought they'd see uh an alaska native woman representing alaska you know people who suffered the effects of colonialism and the impacts of like having their language and culture like stripped from them and sort of the generational damage that that's caused and then and then to see someone sort of lifted up by alaskans and put into this leadership role who is just like a you know a she's just sort of a ray of sunshine she's really positive and she's you know and, and i i'm sure there are like policy wiggles that people are going to have issues with as things go on but it's but like she's just like a good person and she's like a real you know she campaigning on this like I'm a real Alaskan thing and I feel like she is you know she's this is someone who used to come into my comic shop and like buy books for her kids 10 years ago when she was in the legislature or you know like mm-hmm. it's just like she's a person that you've seen around and she's part of our communities and she cares about this place in sort of a, a deep way that that there's there's no way that Nick Baggich or Sarah Payne Malin, care about Alaska in the way that that Mary does and it's just it's just so heartening to see that and then to see people see that right so yeah. there's articles in the ADN and in the uh, beacon that are interviews with uh, indigenous Alaskans talking about like their joy at seeing this and it's just it's it's
1: amazing I love it yeah and I think that what I yeah I mean I think that's to me speaks well to the open primary system, right, is that uh, if this had been sort of the traditional system, you know, the party would have got to select the candidate on this ballot. Um, so we yeah. would probably would have had like Nick Begich versus whoever. Right. And I, I, I'm right. pretty sure it wouldn't have been Mary Paltola. Right. And so I think like the Democrats almost sort of like stumbling into this candidate who, like you've said, you know, has all these sort of positive qualities is really because I think they embraced Rain choice, embraced the open primary, right? Because yeah. where on the Republican side, you really had a lot of discipline, I guess, party discipline, where really the only two major candidates that emerged in this race were Nick Begich and right. Sarah Palin. The Democrats, you know, you had like five or six people with a Democrat next to their name and then like 10 more independents that were, you know, you would also consider progressive, you know, Al Gross is one of them, and and kind of there wasn't like this really tight party control over there wasn't like this really tight discipline, and I think that the voters you know picked the right candidate out of this obviously you know obviously they won, and um, I think that it it, again speaks to to me like the importance of giving voters more agency in these elections, and um, they picked decent candidate,
0: yeah. I mean and that's how you know parties are designed this way so that so that a small group of party leaders can make decisions that you know are good for good for the good for them and you know uh, and good for the people they support but it's it's just sort of a consolidation of power you have mm-hmm. a a faction within a faction within a faction and then all of a sudden it's just like three or four people kind of making really big decisions for the rest of the state and so closed primary you've got someone in the back room somewhere decides that baggage is the one he wins the Republican primary. And then it's sort of just a given that he's going to win the head to head election in, in November. And, you know, there, I think that's the old system and we're going to see a lot. I think we're gonna see a lot of pushback from the parties because they're going to, you know, the, the party adherents and the, and the folks that have really relied on that power to drive Alaskan politics are going to be scrambling a little bit to figure out how to get their hooks back into things Yeah. Um, So. So, yeah, in the legislature this year, there probably just some discussion. But the thing that that I like is that everyone that, you know, everyone except for Donnie Olson, right, is going to be coming into the legislature having been elected under this system. And I think we'll be somewhat hesitant to change it, given that it worked for them. Right. Right. So no matter who wins, they're going to be like, well, it kind of worked for me. So, Mm
1: -hmm. well, especially because the next sort of step in all this, right, is we have a general election in two months from now. And it's interesting to start to try to kind of take away some of the lessons from this. I think, you know, again, with the caveat that it's all very different races and very different everything, but I think it really makes a lot more of these races interesting. You know, I think the idea that you can't take for granted or can't, can't assume that one candidate's votes will neatly align behind the similar candidate, right? Right. That like, makes a whole like lot of these the... races really interesting, really quick. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which one? You, I, I would love to talk about the governor's race because I think it's the the flip. Uh, it's it's the opposite of this of what we've seen in this race, where you've got two candidates that are fairly aligned. You know, you're you're sort of Palin and Begich, but in this case, it's now now you're talking Walker and Guerra, and they're running against uh, this front runner Dunlavy, who, you know given the sort of current scenario, it seems like he's got a very clear and easy path to victory and um, you know, things can change before November, but like if you look at the primary results and you're in either of those campaigns, you've got to realize that you're in trouble. Right. And I'm not super enthusiastic (laughs) about Dunleavy serving another four years. I think he's going to take that as a mandate and, and we, he won't have the recall slowing him down, and he'll just kind of do whatever weird stuff he wants to do. You know, we'll be trying to change the Constitution up, up in the jud- judiciary branch of government. You know, I'll, you know, putting money in people's pockets, that kind of thing. But, um, yeah, like, let's talk about what that governor's race looks like with, with Dunleavy coming out of the primary, sitting at 40 percent. Uh, Guerra at, like, 23 percent, and Walker at 22 percent.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think the one of the big lessons too is that the system works, but you have to take advantage of it, right? So what we we know right now what it looks like when two candidates uh, who are similar in kind of ideology and position fight the whole way through, and yeah. so if if Gara and and Walker are going to be at each other's throats the whole time, with no kind of message of you know, consolidation or outreach to the other candidates' members in a way that says, you know, look, hey, I know you're a GARA voter, but I really sure would like you to be a a second place Walker voter. You know, if you don't have that, you can be pretty sure that it's not going to work at all. I think the question that I have kind of moving forward is like, what is the top end of consolidation that you might be able to expect? You know, I don't, I think that it's, you know, obviously going to be higher than 50%, because 50% happens when you do nothing. But it's not, Going to be a hundred percent, right? You can't. I don't think you can count on it being that high. But is it eighty percent? Is it ninety percent? You know, I think it's probably with the uh, the strong, you know, outreach effort. I think you can get into that range, but you know, that still doesn't leave a whole lot of margin for error, right? In the one in the
0: one race we're looking at, we had twenty percent of baggage voters dropped and bullet voted. Right, mm-hmm. they had no other second choice. So, if twenty percent of Kara or or Walker supporters drop there's no path forward for them right right so they've got to eliminate those bullet votes and there are bullet votes for both both of those campaigns there's there's gonna be a non-zero number of of bullet voters and the the number twos really have to snap in alignment so they've got a lot of work to do there and then also i think they've got to like knock down dunleavy because the other thing here is like you're looking at dunleavy sitting at 40 percent, and you've got uh Pierce, he's the fourth place candidate. He had uh, about a six and a half percent of the vote at this point. But he's he yeah, so he's has some kind of like scandal brewing, uh bubbling under the surface. That and he's it seems like it seems likely at this point that he's not going to drop out of the gubernatorial race, but that he's going to just ghost it. And then you've got another like solid four percent of voters that are Kirka supporters. They're going to be looking for a home, right? And so those Kirka Pierce voters. A majority of them will probably go to Dunlavey, right? Right. Yeah. So, so it starts looking real, real red in the governor's office there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, to me, the one of the questions I would be having if I'm in these campaigns, right, is like, what is your ultimate goal here, right? Is your goal yeah. to get yourself elected or is it to prevent? Dumbly from getting elected. Right. I think those are kind of right. And that's sort of the same issue, I think, with the U.S. House race. Right. Is that both Begich and Palin have clearly decided that they want to get elected. You know, they're both, you know, adamant that the other person should drop out. Um, and I think yeah. that is. And, and so they're not, you know, they don't really seem to have a shared goal of making sure a Republican, regardless of the name, is in there.
0: I, they're a really great cautionary tale, right? They're, yeah. like, they're like, don't do what we're doing. And they're like flashing this red light and you hope that Garen Walker folks are seeing it, right? Right.
1: And I think that to me, like that's, that's the lesson from a lot of this. I don't, you know, and I guess, you know, like what happens over the next two months is like a really big question, right? Like we don't know, you know, there's always the chance for, you know. I think what it's going to take is like a massive amount of coordination between the two as well as something that, you know takes the top off of Dunleavy in some way. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, you look at, there's plenty of plenty of issues, but, you know, a lot of them are, you know, kind of far in the past at this point. So that, you know, it's going to be an interesting question. I think it would be, you know, I think if, um, if Pierce ran a real campaign or... or or did drop out and open up the race to either his running mate Edie Grunwald, or to clear out completely and and let Christopher Kirka, the very strong far right, super anti-Dunleavy Republican, you know, it becomes more interesting. because I think you know a, a real activated Kirka base isn't is probably not pretty, not very primed to vote for Dunleavy second at all. Well, and Kirka's been in the news too. He's really not happy
0: with with Pierce sort of ghosting on the election and yeah. and uh sees his sees that as his spot right so his voters are going to be really unhappy with with pierce and probably with dunleavy right i don't know what that looks like do they just not vote or did they actually come out and vote against i them? mean they could write in retali- too, right? is it
1: retaliatory they can write in yeah. yeah that'd be interesting i mean i think yeah. that's that's going to be the interesting element of it because you know and that's i think that's sort of the thing too that is sort of um uh maybe sort of unexpected element of of having a more broad spectrum of candidates on the ballot is that it kind of sets voter expectations, I think, right? I think that um, Dunleavy, by having a real far-right guy on his his flank, you know, makes him look a little more moderate, right? And I think, you know, right now it, it seems like there's some level of that kind of centrist vote that is okay enough with Dunleavy. And, you know, how you would go about trying to, you know, break that up is beyond me I'm glad I guess I'm glad I'm not running campaigns I'm just writing about them
0: I I am I am like starting to dip my toes into some of this stuff and I I very much feel like the the approach with Dunleavy is just sort of trying to wake up that feeling and uh and the movement really that was like the recall in in 2019 you know I think that there were a lot of people that were impacted by that and then COVID came ar- around and sort of like wiped our collective memory. But I think this idea of just sort of remembering, you know, recalling the recall, right? Like remembering what, why were, why were we so organized and why was the state, why was this thing sweeping the state and what, what was it that drove that? And there's so many, so many things it was a fire hose of information right where you get so many things that you can't remember one of them all of a sudden and so i went back to the like internet archive and i dug up the old recall list of like why we're doing this it's amazing it's just this huge list of things you know Mm -hmm. it's like violated the constitution tried to you know vetoed the funding for the judges and i mean it's just it just goes on and on and on you know tried to destroy the marine highway it's it I think that there's a lot of room there to like chisel away at Dunleavy's um, at Levy's lead, um, and I'm going to try and do it. I I don't mm. I really don't want to see him serve again, and I I think it would be terrible for Alaska to have to endure four more years of like of weird chaos.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, the biggest knock against Dunleavy, almost, I mean, it, to the centrist mind, I think, is that like the last four years have almost been like completely spinning our tires you know like really haven't done much um you know that's kind of would almost be my hope with the you know the the sort of the long-term impact of ranked choice voting is that you know i think it, it's a system that is less rewarding of you know extreme positions and kind of that sort of kicking and screaming we've seen in the legislature in the last few years you know it's not going to erase it completely obviously but you know you look at some of these legislative races um I think a good example is, you know, out in Eagle River, Kelly Merrick, the kind of moderate Republican caucused with the Democrats for the House majority this last session and, and kind of did, you know, brought home a big capital budget for it would have been toast in a in a in a closed semi-closed Republican primary. I think, you know, it would have been doomed for her there. Instead, she finished the primary with about like 53 percent of the vote. And it's a four way Republican race. There's no Democrats in it at all. But it means that, you know, she's been able to build a coalition of like the 20 to 30 percent of people who always vote for a Democrat who've never really mattered in the past. But she got the 20 to 30 percent of those Democrats plus, you know, whatever else, the independents and moderate Republicans. And all of a sudden she's got an extraordinarily strong coalition to keep her in office, kind of, a you know, a Murkowski-esque coalition. And I think you're kind of starting to see that in some of these other races where, you know, these moderate legislators and, again, moderate Put some sneer quotes around that because you know i think moderate is you know just a relative term nowadays you know being bipartisan in the legislature isn't the same death sentence that it has been in years past yeah and you know maybe you know that means that there you know you have a higher group of people who want to work on stuff who want to pass the right. budget on time who don't want to actively burn down the state And it doesn't mean like we're going to see like a wave of like progressive policy at all, but but maybe some functioning government. Yeah, like yeah, they
0: uh, like the the parties used to have this heavy hammer. You know, if someone like Kathy Giesel steps out of line, we're going to primary you and run you out of office, which is exactly what they did, mm -hmm. right? And they do that to politicians all the time. Now that's that's a little bit off the table. I think people are going to be freed up to sort of like do what their constituents want instead of what the party wants, which is probably good for for good for all
1: of us i mean yeah because you think about it like the when you're doing what the party wants it's that's really meeting the needs of that that small you know faction of primary voters right and so you know having the entire district be able to weigh in on these decisions i think is just so important for for you know improving the quality of representation i think it's like you know my sort of the line i had before was that you know Ranked choice voting isn't going to mean that Eel River is going to elect a Democrat anytime soon, but it might mean you're not going to be, dis- or, you know, uh, embarrassed by representation constantly. It doesn't mean you're going to, it doesn't mean it will match your party alignment, but it No, might
0: but be. you might be able to be a progressive in an area like that and choose the least worst Republican, right. right? Which is probably like a nice way to go. The other thing here is that it's, I really like seeing these primary results As kind of like a check-in, like a free polling situation, right? Like, I think we had what one person was eliminated (laughs) from Mm -hmm. a state house race or something. But the uh, but everyone else, for everyone else, for all these other campaigns, it's like a real like gut check, reality check of like where are you sitting at in August, and how do you compare to the other candidates in this race? And, and really head to head. So now you can take that. That can be a kick in the pants for a campaign to like really get working or it can be a chance for you to like, you know, some people might drop out. Some people might dial back their effort because they either think they're way ahead or way behind. I, I think that this is this sort of changes the um, the way we're going to campaign. You know, we're going to see this August check in and really change our strategies, I think, as a result of that. So, yeah. you know, you talk about like um three-way races like the one Kathy in, you know, now she might have some real information about where she sits before, you know, as she goes into November and she might, you know, a good candidate is going to use that information to reach out to the people she needs to reach out to. And whether that's trying to get second choice votes from one of the other candidates that's running or or whether it's trying to chip away votes from someone that's ahead you know that kind of thing so yeah i don't know are there any of these state house or senate races that you're really interested in right now that like the after now now that we've seen how many bullet voters how many second choice voters it, does it change anything for you or does that open up any interesting Yeah, i mean i think one of the
1: one of the most interesting ones is that you know i kind of have writ, long written off representative Grier hopkins in fairbanks whose district went from two-plus Biden to, like, 26-plus Trump, right? So just mm-hmm. a radical uh, realignment. And under this, he finished in with, like, 40% of the vote. Forty f- 44.6. Yeah, and it, it's, yeah. like, pretty—all of a sudden becomes, like, pretty clear that there is a potential path here because— um, you know, I think that under the, under the old system, right, there's, you know, he had sure he had 44% of the vote, but that means there was 56% of the vote that went to the other guys. And I think, you know, I went into that with a kind of an assumption that, you know, stuff would neatly align, right, that if a vote for a Republican is a vote for a Republican, you know, and I think yeah. that is really clearly proven not to be true. So I think, it, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how and if, you know there's a big push to have a bunch of candidates withdraw and kind of consolidate it. So it's just a head to head race. I think that makes some of these races easier, but yeah, like so that race to me, it all of a sudden becomes very viable for him to win, you know, because I, I think that you probably can't count on candidates hundred percent aligning, but you know, so how much of those votes fall off in the, in the second or third rounds, how many, you know, and I think it, it sort of goes, I think it's sort of assumed, too, that, you know, there's going to be some bump, right? It's almost like counting the remaining votes in a race, right? It's like, yes, if 100% of them go my way, I'll I'll win, but they'll never, you know, 100% will never go your way. You'll get 60% while the other guy gets 40%, right, Or, or whatever. And I think that that's something that you really need to factor in here, which is to say, like, you know, a strong lead at this point puts you in a pretty good spot going forward, especially if your opponents are split.
0: Yeah, so in that race, uh, the the last place candidate has about fourteen percent of the vote, and if and if they break down, it's similar to Nick Begich, if they have, you know, if if twenty percent of the people have vo- bullet voted, if twenty nine percent of the people actually go for Hopkins, you know, Greer could win. Like he could really mm-hmm. win that race if you just kind of look at those numbers, and he does, and you know, he's got the. Connections in that community that he might be able to in- increase his lead. He might be able to like chip away and get some second po- second place support from from that uh, other candidate. It's it's uh that could be. You're right. That could be a really interesting race now that we sort of see what the potential is for those for those numbers. Yeah, and that'll be a neat thing coming out with the general election is just knowing. You know, what does that look like in a normal race where you don't have like someone with like the super high negative ratings of Sarah Palin? What is you know, what's the kind of where are we averaging out on on voter exhaustion from bullet voting? Where are we averaging out on like second place votes, kind of unconventional second place votes? And I think of them as unconventional because it's like maybe a Republican crossing over for a Democrat mm-hmm. or vice versa.
1: Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen yet, right? What a what happens when an independent or a democratic candidate gets eliminated? We have like a a good idea, really, only of what happens when a Sarah, you know, when Sarah Palin's in the race, right? Which I feel like is just such a yeah you know, unique sort of twist yeah. on a race that it's so hard to really you know map it out. You know, like if Al Gross had been in the race, you know, where do where do his votes go? You know, do you know, do they they probably go in a a higher grouping to Peltola. But is it is, you know, again, is it 60 percent? Is it 70 percent? You know, how many of them go to Begich or how many of them go to Palin? Like we don't really know. Right. And so, you know, we've still got a lot of uncharted territory heading into these fall elections. I think that the governor's race is going to be very interesting. I think that um, the U.S. Senate race, uh, it looks like, you know, Murkowski's is an extraordinarily strong position for that. I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if she finishes, you know, almost 10 points up over Chewbacca on the final vote. Yeah, it's yeah, it's really interesting. I think, you know, it's just such a different system. And I think, you know, to me, the, to me, the really big takeaway is just like, or the refreshing element of it, I guess, is that the, the political parties just don't have as much say over it and i think that's yeah and that's i think is why there's a, a to uh, you know it, and then when you see stuff like this idea that pierce is going to stay in the governor's race you know with the intention of not really doing anything to help sort of protect Dunleavy, that stuff feels really bad you know i think when you start to yeah. game out the system when you are trying to get people to withdraw and, and kind of whittle it down it's just bad and i think it I think the the sort of the again the the best example of like letting the system work is Peltola, right? Like yeah. this is a, a race that going into this year people expected Begich to win pretty much the whole way through, right? Like Begage was sort of the odds on favorite the whole way through, never got better than third place, and then Palin was expected to win once it got to the once we got the kind of the look at the votes and and it didn't that's not how it played out, right? You know, kind of this sort of conventional wisdom Is not exactly applicable to this, but it becomes more and more applicable the more and more you kind of control and discipline it down to just a head one, you know, Republican versus Democrat race. Yeah. I will say that there's
0: still a path for Begich. Like he could still be representing Alaska in November, you know, if he is able to. Pull some Palin voters over and place ahead of Palin and then get enough of her second place votes he could he could easily yeah you know, he could but like he could win I, but I I'm, don't think I'm, he's got the juice for it I'm curious but it's possible
1: I mean I think that I think you know this system is very good at at now at kind of weeding out sort of the uh less than genuine people in the system and I think that's the thing is that baggage <laughs> is like you know, he's sort of yeah. viewed as the, mod- you know, positioned as the moderate Republican in this. But, you know, he was running to the right of Don Young. He was saying that Don Young was too liberal, you know, six months yeah. ago. And so, you know, I think that's sort of hard to kind of forget for a lot of people. I would be interested, too, like what Palin voter, what first place Palin voter looks at these results and goes, you know what? I should have voted for the third place Republican who's got no charisma, right? Like I, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of curious. And I think too, like right. it's, it's interesting too with the, like, I would be interested to see how far things can shift from the August primary to the, to the November, because, yeah. you know, once you have people like voting for somebody, I think it becomes pretty hard to get change their mind between now and then, yeah. especially when, when is- like for a Palin voter, like you know there's some i you know, i've seen a lot more outrage at the at the 15 or 12 to 15,000 people who didn't rank anybody i i just i don't see how he improves his position a whole lot from here on yeah. out because he's like you know it's but like it he's, a, he's a proven loser right you know and well, like yeah, yeah. and it's like you know he argues I, that if it had been a head-to-head race with him and Peltola he would have won which you know, maybe, right? There's some polling that kinda suggested that would kinda be the how it would work out. But like, dude, you couldn't beat Sarah Palin. So like yeah. y- you know, it's like you know, Palin's He's a- gotta really climb out of the cellar. Yeah, I mean I think like Palin is a uniquely bad candidate, but if you can't beat her, then it doesn't say it's not it doesn't say a whole lot of strength about you either. So you know, I think Dermot Cole wrote at some point, you know, the biggest loser in this is, is Nick Begich and I think it's right. I mean it like it just sort of proved that this sort of, you know, sort of buttoned-down, extremely wealthy, you know, kind of insincere Republican is just sort of not what anybody. It doesn't, you know, what kind of constituency is there for a guy like that, right? And I think it, to me, I mean, one of the most sort of like interesting moments that still sticks with me from this entire race is um, the Trump rally, right? So Trump comes up to Alaska in July, uh, he stumps for Kelly Shabaka you know, and Sarah Palin, and you look at a lot of the reporting from it, and all the Republicans that are quoted in it, you know, the state Republicans, you know, I think it's Kevin McCabe and Sarah Vance, and a few others are all, oh, they are just so in, you know, Kelly Shabaka, she's just great, she's awesome, you know, can't wait for her to beat Murkowski, and then, you know, anybody asks them about how they feel about Sarah Palin, they go, oh, we're, we're neutral on that race, you know, and I think, <laughs> to me, when you're at, trump convention trump rally for a candidate and you can't even say you support both candidates or something like that you can't even bring yourself to like doing it's like an anti-endorsement right and i think that like it creates created this, this really weird dynamic where kind of the official establishment of the party that ranges from you know pretty much everyone in that party from the most sort of like normie Republicans to the most, you know, to the Kevin McCabe's of the world viewed Begich as the chosen one. And they're proven to be like deeply out of step with their voters. And, yeah. you know, so to me, it's just really interesting to look at the kind of the, the internal dynamics of these Republicans and,
0: Well, I think that's what a lot of of the work that the party does is trying to keep the very far right faction of people like voting for the folks that won't just like tear the government apart. Right. So, you know, I think that's a lot of what like Must Read Alaska does is like herding cats. You know, it's like trying to get this like frenetic energy focused on on whatever their goal is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you build your base on a bunch of like weird yowling stray cats then like it's you got to have a good cat herder yeah and all of a sudden this you know this takes one of their big mechanisms the primary election off the table and so all of a sudden your your big funnel that you put your cats in doesn't exist anymore and now you just got to feel the cats I mean, this metaphor is terrible and but... the, yeah field the cats out in the
1: general election and i mean i think it yeah like it's exactly right and i think and, and to me the, the the refusal to really learn any lessons from it is is really sweet because I think it you know it comes from this idea that like you know these Republicans who've been living in a, in a bubble really you know who've kind of been like high on their own supply of like right-wing information and scare tactics like are all of a sudden meeting reality right and you know I think to me especially it's all built on this like really strong idea that like they, are owed it you know they are owed these votes this is a republican state it will vote republican and we have control over it and it's gonna work how we want it to work to me it's like this is really like regardless of politics it's just a really gross attitude to have about elections right right like no one's entitled to any vote. yeah and, and and to see them refuse to acknowledge that to continue to push on that oh it must be their system that's broken it's not us is like Sure. Continue. Continue down that road, please, because you're only making yourself more and more out of step with it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it, it was good to see how well it worked. There were very few votes that, you know, it, based on the, the data that we got back from Division of Elections, it looked like people understood how to use the system. There weren't a lot of like, you know, it wasn't like 20 percent of people failed yeah. to vote. You know, like there was it was like, what, 0.2 percent mm-hmm. or something of people that had like funky ballots. It worked. It worked. I mean, it was like that was the biggest thing I was scared of is that it might not work. You know, people might not be able to successfully mark their ballots. And, you know, that's that's a deal breaker for an election. If, if you have a system that's complicated enough that people can't successfully mark their ballots, right. then that's not a good system. But people people did it. It worked. It was fine. Yay. So I, I guess I guess, you know, like looking ahead down the road, we've got a couple days here until. Um, things are locked in. So we saw in in the primary or in the for the special election, we saw that um, when Al Gross dropped out, his spot was not refilled because it was within a certain number of days from the election. Uh, I think it's coming up here on September fifth. That's that's the case for all of these elections. So it's possible that in the next day or two, you know, probably by the time I've edited this podcast, that there will see some people drop out of the election, um, and it's possible that after that date we'll see some people drop out because they know that that slot won't be filled right so there's kind of this strategic like you could drop out now and someone else could slot slot in um or you can drop out in a few days Mm -hmm. and no one else can slot in and so now you're instead of having a top four election you've got a top three or a top two so i it'll be interesting to see how much that happens uh going forward i think we're going to see a few of those um i think you know they're based on kind of like what I know of Alaska politics, some people will be sort of like strong-armed into 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 dropping out or, or uh, you know, not doing kind of what Charlie Pierce appears to be doing and just ghosting, ghosting out. It's Alaska uh, way. Yeah, I remember when my dad ran for uh, my dad ran for state house back in the early early 2000s, and uh, uh, one of he ran as a Republican. One of the uh, Democratic operatives in town offered him a pound of weed to drop out of the election. <laughs> It was like, I mean, it's it's Alaska. It's, yeah, weird stuff happens. But uh, he didn't. He stayed in. Well, good. Um, <laughs> uh, what uh, what else is uh, what else is going on in, in this state right now? What are we missing in all the election noise?
1: Oh, I don't think I would know anymore. It feels <laughs> like it's mean? been a lot. Yeah. You report on all this
0: stuff. Okay, I'll tell you about two things that I think are really uh, sure. interesting. The, the um, I I try I, I try to listen to other Alaska podcasts since we do podcasts. I'm like, oh, I'm part of this like thing. And so, um, the uh, ADN has just released a new politics podcast that is really great. It's uh, uh, hosted by Elizabeth Harball and uh, uh, it seems like Iris Sam- Samuels is a big part of it, and they talk about. Uh, what's going on in Alaska? They do. It's a really, you know, they've got a team behind them. It's a professionally edited show. It's it's got kind of a like Alaska News Nightly vibe, but a little more conversational. <clears throat> and uh, I think if anyone, you know, anyone who likes listening to us talk about politics, I think would probably enjoy that. It's a little bit different perspective. It's a little less casual, um, and it's it's uh, it's good. It's really good. And I think that they know what they're, you know, they. They're doing a lot of reporting and so they know uh, these topics inside and out and are providing a lot of good information to folks. Um, the other thing I, I just listened to was uh, Tongue Unbroken, which is a language revitalization and decolonization podcast by um, Kune uh, Lance Twitchell, uh, who is a just brilliant artist and uh you know, you know he's a musician and an illustrator and you know kind of every he's in everything he's just sort of this like amazing renaissance guy that lives in
1: juno his twitter is like one of the best follows i feel like yeah really thoughtful stuff good, and good wholesome and just a really great connection to a lot of other alaskans and resources it's really great yeah
0: yeah for someone who is like fighting knives out against Uh, colonialism and manifest destiny he is the most pleasant and kind human I've ever (laughs) met and I just I just love his approach to equity and language and um, and culture and uh, it's a it's a it's a fun listen and it's got a lot of language in it and kind of big ideas and definitely going to keep listening to that one especially like if you listen to like Coffee and quack or something like that I think that you'll really enjoy Tongue Unbroken
1: I'm adding it into my list right now
0: i don't really have much other than that that's kind of where
1: i'm at right now i don't don't know for for recording for the podcast but i am in the middle of uh of um working through the high times alaska cannabis hybrid flower judging kit so uh currently so i i do um, a lot of freelance reporting for the alaska cannabis magazine and Mm -hmm. um i don't talk about it a bunch but it's sort of a fun part of 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 you know keeps things interesting i guess and we need to do a weed episode yeah it actually probably be fun but uh, so there, there's a thing going on right now in Alaska called the Alaska the high times so the you know the magazine high times Alaska cannabis people's choice cup <laughs> yeah the idea is instead of like having 20 or something like hand picked industry judges you can go to a store and buy a kit for one of the i think nine different categories of it. So, uh, of course, so I was, you know, reporting on this story and I thought, okay, this is interesting. Um, and I, I bought the, uh, hybrid flower kit that is 21 grams of, uh, a gram each of 21 different varieties of flower from all over the state.
0: What are these edibles or just weed? Just or weed like... flour. Okay. Yeah. So it's
1: yeah. The, the, there's the gummies kit. That's also, yeah. you could get too. um, and, you know, I think it just sort of sounded like this fun idea, like a, also a good deal. Um, and then as, as I was walking out, the, the high times organizer kind of put his arm around my shoulder and goes, all right, I want you to know you need to like take this seriously, right? Because, you know, people, this is like, you know, 21 different people or 21 different yeah. groups and they really put a lot of effort into this and I get home and I put out, you know, open up this bag and I've all the flowers spread across a table and it really dawned on me like, what the hell did I just get myself into? <laughs> and... Uh, I, I I really should. have... I'm kicking myself now. I I should have like maybe looked up like how other people approach this kind of thing. Yeah, because I'm like just sort of by the seat of my pants here. Where like I I luckily have like a I had a little journal that I bought from another weed store for like another column review for review for the magazine. It's like a little journal that keeps track of your strains. So that's yeah. been really useful. But it's like now I have I I broke out different bins. So I have like an yeah. in bin and a done bin and a working on it bin.
0: This isn't like the record pumpkin thing where you can just like weigh it and be like that's the biggest. Oh no, yeah,
1: you gotta like <laughs> test it by its smell and its appearance and how burnt its burnability and the journey that it takes you on. Oh wow! And uh, but yeah, like there's a, like my question now is like okay, well how do you like what's the appropriate amount of time to wait between smoking and mm-hmm. like what and you yeah, know you need a sorbet am i am i you know influencing the outcome because i'm tired when i'm doing it and should i be doing it at the same time every day should i and and the, sort of the the source of of combustion probably matters right and so it's just like a sort of large uh mm-hmm. problem that kind of sort of quickly unfolded and has been interesting so- is it
0: going to take you like 21 days to review these or like how, how fast you work? I've been getting, this? I've
1: been getting the spins a little bit now. So I just, <laughs> so like, I mean, like I, oh, I just, no. like I, I'm I going not to be I like a year long project pretty regularly, but it's all, like, this is a lot and yeah. uh, trying to get everything done. And so I'm like in the middle right now of writing a story about what it's like that will hopefully be on the magazine in October i'm just um,
0: picturing i'm just picturing you with one of those like pill a day calendar boxes where oh you've got your, like, that actually monday, would be Tuesday, good Wednesday, i should get one of those you just got your little weed flower in each one i should no that
1: actually might be a good <laughs> idea i might have to go get one of those
0: <laughs> oh it's monday i guess i'm taking this one yeah well i mean oh. it's
1: like interesting because like i don't know oh, like i i was uh, you know for me like I report on the industry a lot, but I don't, like, have a good sense of, like, what I like or anything mm-hmm. like that. Like, whenever I go into a sort of buying thing for myself, it's, like, it's kind of like that process of, like, trying to order off a big menu when you, you right. know, haven't, you know, you just got to the front of the line and you have no idea what you want. So, you just kind of it's, skim it until you just catch a word that you know.
0: This flavor is good. <laughs>
1: no, How yeah. I have I a described. lot of, like, <laughs> yeah. it smells weedy. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna have to dig out at the. I think I think so. the other thing that I gotta remember too is that like, not a, like this is a judging competition. There are gonna be some that are like not good, and there's yeah. gonna be some that are like really good. And so yeah. I think part of it's like I'm sitting here being like, well, I kind of hated this one. But maybe it's me like maybe I need. maybe yeah. my problem is I need to try it at a different time of day or something like that. And so I,
0: I you know, I think with these kind of things, um, I've done a lot of like film curation and and, uh, you know, art, art curation. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really important because, you know, it is important to recognize that people put a lot of work into this and that they're trying to improve. So if you can offer. Um, critical feedback that isn't harsh that helps them to improve, then that's good. But I think that just saying something is not like I didn't enjoy this or I don't like it. I think is is not helpful. Yeah, and really hurts. I mean that's not where I'm. It really I, kind I, of wasn't like, on hurts a person's that, yeah. process. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, it's, you kind of stick to the golden rule unless you have something that's really going to like elevate them for the next time. Right. You know that. Yeah, I, I have the, no idea. You know, yeah. I
1: just know if I like kind of or not if I like it or not. But like I, yeah, I don't like I now I need to like go. And like research how all the growing works. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the thing is that like, I think it's, it's yeah, to I me no it's idea. interesting because it kind of just creates all these like interesting issues of how you approach a process like this, right? And how do mm-hmm. you judge them and how do you, you know, how much control do they have over this stuff? I mean, like, you know, the the packaging and, and the, the, the way they trim it is, you know, something they have control over, but I don't think I would do the 21 strain one again. <laughs> do you have an emerging favorite like do you
0: yeah. have, like is yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about it or is that
1: I, I don't know if you've ever you know smoked pot caveat you haven't done them all yet. i haven't I done them all of, yet so i don't know for sure i'm not
0: really i'm not really a big pot smoker well, i've i've uh, i've tried a few times but never really did anything yeah. and also it's like kind of not really into smoking like i don't like the yeah. idea of like smoking and I think... so I, I i have more of like an edibles yeah kind of guy and well, i don't do it frequently but i i do like it yeah
1: So, like, I think part of it is that, like, for me especially, like, I I feel like a lot of weed out there is really, just makes you really sleepy, you know? Like, for me, like, a majority of weeds are too much. And also, like, that's been an interesting element, too, is that, like, learning that sometimes less is more, that not smoking, like, a bunch at once. Like, it's kind of like drinking, right? Like, a couple drinks, you're going to be feeling, like, happy, and then too many, you're going to be passed out. Yeah. I think I've always kind of been chasing that, like, kind of heady feeling. The, the times that I've always enjoyed it the most is, like, when it makes you happy. and makes you kind of, like, energetic and chatty and kind of, you know, engaging, I guess, you know, with the yeah. world around you. Rather than just sort of, like, falling asleep on the couch, which is you know, more often than not. Um, mm-hmm. And so my experience so far, it, basically anything by Great Northern Cannabis um, has been really good for that. So that's... Uh, Not in this competition, but Mac and Cheese is a good one for that. It's kind of the happy sort of like giggly high. And -hmm. then they have, I think I've tried their Georgia Pie, which is in this competition.
0: That one did the same trick. Interesting naming conventions there. Yeah,
1: if you're looking to be like completely knocked out, like you just want to go to sleep and have a good solid sleep. uh, Raspberry Roots' is Red Delicious is really good for that. So kind of, yeah, everything else is kind of, starting to blur together a little bit for me some of the stuff smells really interesting and good but kind of doesn't really necessarily translate to anything else which is interesting like there's yeah. one that just smells what? like like sugary orange juice which is like really cool but it doesn't taste like sugary orange juice and yeah yeah like tang the uh yeah like maybe burning a joint of tang and it yeah. doesn't doesn't <laughs> work the same way <laughs>
0: I I like the idea though that this is all Alaskan grown and you know it's all originated from people that are here yeah. in Alaska like trying to make this stuff and, and that it's uh it, it's very similar to the you know state fair vibe of like we're going to go and do our, our zucchini I mean and... I think
1: that the, I would love to see like you know mine of my, my kind of long term like goals with it is to, to is for the industry to more really lean into that I yeah. think having like a pot thing well, it's agriculture at the State fair right? would it be is, a cool. It is. Element. It fits right in. I think. Yeah. I also, you know, I would love to see like a farmers market style thing where maybe you're not uh, fully licensed sort of thing, but maybe it's like you pay 150 bucks and you can like sell for the weekend at this thing. I don't know. I think that mm-hmm. there's like this element of like community with it, right? Because I think that's like kind of the same thing with like the plant. You know, people who just grow garden right there's like this kind yeah, of element forage, of like you know
0: there's a lot of yeah yeah there's like a lot of for like mushroom foragers will do the same thing you know, yeah
1: probably. oh my god we went i just went to the fair we went and saw the giant pumpkin uh-huh and oh the the record like the, the biggest pumpkin yeah, in alaska and yeah. documented alaska mm-hmm. history, right it was very big yeah. but yeah there's some very big plants there's a that i guess there's something called a long gourd it was like eight feet long it looked like a giant wow. um green bean basically <laughs> cool
0: yeah now do people eat these things when they're done or do they I get kinda, donated to i like don't a think so i think that when or, you like...
1: grow it really big it kind of becomes really not it's just soup yeah it just kind of becomes like woody and yeah not good that, that makes sense yeah we went and saw the demolition derby <laughs> that was a lot of fun oh, yeah. I, um, <laughs> I i always I just, just kind of tweet i always like the animals like the animals are always kind of my favorite element of it because it's like mm-hmm the 4-H stuff so it's like you can go pet a pig and meet the sheep and look at a goat so you know a lot of them are you know being raised by kids you know to be usually in most cases to be consumed by adults sure you know it's just part of life I guess but yeah yeah, I don't know I like that vibe the food's always kind of fun you get to see Sarah Palin there Kelly (laughs) Shabaka.
0: she have a dunk tank yeah no she's just (laughs) walking around it was interesting. She was very anonymous to actually. Throw for
1: as for as Sarah Palin, as she is, mm-hmm. it, there wasn't like an entourage of people like following her. She was like with two guys that one of them was her yeah. boyfriend or whatever or partner. And uh, but yeah, it wasn't like a big sideshow. It was just like this so- person just sort of walking around the fair.
0: Is there a pretty heavy like uh, encampment of politicians at the state fair? Is that just kind of no. like any given day you're gonna see there's someone? There's like a or? few.
1: Uh, we went last week, and um, there was definitely a Kelly Shabaka like at the Kelly Shabaka thing, going mm-hmm. "Hello, everybody, I'm Kelly Shabaka," and then people just like kind of like try not to Awkward, make eye contact awkwardly and keep going... by. Yes, <laughs> there's a lot of that. A surprising amount of that. Um, <laughs> we saw Don sign a bill. Oh, okay. We just happened to be there at the same time he was signing some bill. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. There were more... It was funny because we were, like, later that day, just overheard some guy just chatting in line for something. He goes, there are more politicians on stage than people in the audience, which, you know, Oh, no. right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Saw Les Guerra just just walking around, just hanging out, so... Just carrying a fish. Carrying a bunch of signs, yeah. Oh, yeah. So... Yeah, it was interesting yeah. to see Sarah uh, Kelly Chewbacca there like multiple days. I think that kind of mm-hmm. it, it didn't have like it's like lazy door knocking. It kind of had like sad vibes to me a little bit. Oh, you know? like
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, is this no, really I, the I, best use of your I time, know. ma'am? It's like going to the comic convention and you see some artists like sitting alone at the table with their like thing that they've poured their heart into. Yeah, you're like, oh, maybe I should go buy that, but then I might have to talk to them. Yeah, and also, it's and, like, and I've I've been that artist before, yeah. but it's like, I also it's that like that kind that of weird
1: and like sort of racist and conservative. No, I'm just kidding, <laughs> but
0: what? No, no, I didn't know what. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, hey, I think that's a uh, uh, that's our I think that's our show and 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 a bit more. Yeah, so, uh, yeah get us all right up get me
1: spooled up on weed so i talk about it forever yeah so. i
0: let's do a let's do an episode on that in the future i'd really I, you know it seems like a, a thing that you've how long have you been reporting on it
1: i think pretty much since the industry started really so it's you know yeah. i've been reporting in some form or another since like 2000 whatever i can't remember when the magazine started I think the magazine opened in 17 or 18 yeah. so yeah that's not an alaska
0: it. magazine is it it is that's like a oh it's it run is? by oh, okay. the
1: fairbanks daily news miner yeah
0: oh okay wild and yeah. so are you their primary correspondent or do they have like a lot of people writing for them or like I'm, is that i'm kind
1: of the primary correspondent okay i do a lot of work for them yeah um it's kind of i mean it's honestly kind of hard to find like yeah where is it do i get it on newsstands or like what? if you go into a pot shop it might be there but they're kind of spotty about making sure they're delivered everywhere so it's very new yeah. it's, it's honestly very news it's very news in that sense where yeah. it's like, you find it it could be, like it could be we- it could be it could be a lot better you know yeah it's like one of those seems things.
0: like they should have them at pizza joints that's yeah that's where i'd put them all right well hey uh great <laughs> talking to you and um I, I will talk again soon and have a good fall here yeah that's- i
1: will i'm gonna getting, getting in nesting mode over here so yeah all right take care see you later right. Bye. bye
0: Hello to you out there. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to support our work, you can find Matt Buxton at MidnightSunAK.com. He puts out a daily newsletter about what's going on in Alaska politics and the legislature, and it's just really great writing. Uh, and if you want to support my work, you can find me at Patreon.com slash And that supports my time editing this podcast and doing a lot of other things like comics and watercolor paintings and things like that. So I really do appreciate it. And a big thanks to Marion Call, whose music we excerpted uh, for our theme song of our show. Uh, That comes from Real Alaskan Girl. Uh, Go check it out on Bandcamp.